Jersey South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. It's just the two of us. That's terrible. I shouldn't sing on the radio. But uh, it is just the two of us tonight. The science advisor Matt Moniz is out. Stephanie Burke is uh, at an event with Dustin Perry. They're uh, out in Middleborough. So you have just the silent assassin and myself tonight. Matt, did you want me to take this out of mono so that nothing fires off? Okay, I don't know why your microphone's not working. That was happening yesterday. Let's see. Oh, so it's just misnumbered? I don't know. Try again? No, it looks like they just disconnected your microphone. That's that's helpful. That's totally helpful. Should I take it out of this? Now, see? How about now? Yeah. There we go. There we oh, go. Okay, all right. See, see what happens when we start messing around with things. <laughs> but that's all right because well, we, we get we get crazy and or and we start punching buttons. Sometimes we punch wrong. Oh, buttons. the this the spooky South Coast audience just doesn't understand what we've been doing, what we've been uh, putting on here over the last couple of weeks, really. And I say we, but when I say we, I mean you. You've been doing all the work. It's, it's a collab. It's. We always say that I'm the idea person and you're the one that puts the ideas into action, but you've been coming at me with all the ideas. When you're like, what, what if we do this? What if we try this? I think we can do this. And then it just gets crazier and crazier. But it's working. We have the streaming video now, like permanently secured. I'm not going yep. to start talking about how it's foolproof because we all know what happened last week. Exactly. When I started yep. talking about that. But it's easier. I'll say that much. It's easier. And we have more streaming things here at WBSM. So if you are a fan of WBSMs, all you have to do is go to the YouTube channel for WBSM and subscribe. Are they sending out automatic notices when they go on, when they go live? Um, if you're subscribed to the WBSM Right, YouTube. the WBSM. Yep. I know we do. Yep. Our, our spooky South Coast one does, but... I, get, I must not be subscribed to the WBSM one because I haven't been getting the notifications. So I'll have to make sure I do that. Because, hmm. you know, Spooky South Coast, we, we blow them away in subscribers. We do. We do. We're uh, we're, we're getting up there now. But we right. could always use more. We're, we're actually um, um, on the road to 2000. So if you are a Spooky South Coast fan, if you're a listener, if you're a regular, maybe a podcast downloader, or maybe you watch the YouTube videos later on, or the different ways that we put up the show... Subscribe to us right there on YouTube, and then you'll see when we go live, and you'll know that you can jump in and join in the conversation, which you can do at any point during the show as well by calling in at 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. If for some reason you still pay long-distance charges and you want to call in toll-free, you can do it that way. And we have the chat room going at Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and the app, the Spooky South Coast app, the easiest way to get the show. You can put it right on your smartphone. And wherever you go, you'll have Spooky South Coast with you. And if for some reason you can't get the app to work, there's always the YouTube app as well. You can get us there. So many ways to consume the show. Oh, and as the guy who's been putting out reminders to everybody at the station of how to promote the YouTube, you think I'd know how to do it myself. If you have a smart TV with the YouTube app, you can watch us that way. Hmm. If you have a streaming device like a Roku or a Chromecast or one of those, you can watch us that way via the YouTube app. And if you have a Comcast Xfinity cable box, you know, one of the, the big, I guess it's silver, the big silver box, if you have one of those, they now have the YouTube, YouTube app 
installed into the cable box. So if you just go to where it oh, says wow. apps, yeah. you know, a lot of people have discovered that they can watch Netflix now through the cable box. Well, you can watch YouTube as well. So just go to the YouTube app on your Xfinity cable box and search for Spooky South Coast in the YouTube app, and you'll find our channel. And I think you can bookmark it and everything through that app as well. That's great. There's no excuses. No, really. Nope. I mean, unless, like, you're like, I don't stay home on Saturday yeah, night. So. You, but even if you're like, reason, even yeah. if you're out in the club, as the kids say, <laughs> in the club, you yep. can just open up the, the YouTube app on your phone or the Spooky South Coast app on your phone and watch us. Although I don't know why you'd want to be doing that at a club, but you're not going to be able. To, you're not really not going to be able to hear it. No. Bring your Bluetooth headphones. I don't even know if that would make a difference. Not that I have much of a much experience in the club. <laughs> <laughs> the only club I belong to is Club Spooky, and we get together every Saturday night. So, uh, again, as I mentioned, you can call in, you can join in on the chat room, you can tweet us using the hashtag SpookyLive or directly at SpookySC. There's so many different ways. You can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. So many different ways to get in touch with us during the show. And a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by our guest for tonight, Dr. Andrea Akita. She's a folklorist. She, she's, she's, she's a doctor, too, Matt. So this is two weeks in a row right. that we've classed up the joint we've really by bringing in up, some yeah. ac- academics. So uh, but she'll be joining us in just a little bit. We're going to talk about folklore. We're going to talk about the supernatural. We're going to talk about the paranormal. And we're going to talk about Slenderman because we really haven't discussed Slenderman in great depth. And that's an area of interest for Dr. Kita. So we'll be talking about that with her as well coming up a little bit later on. One of the things that... Uh, you know, we get tagged in a lot of stuff. Uh, we get Spooky South Coast and all of us individually. You know, people keep seeing stuff popping up all the time on the show, and uh, and they always they always make sure that they let us know about it. They share it with us. They tag us in it on Facebook. They tweet it to us. And uh, so we're not going to have a Week in Weird this week because our Week in Weird correspondent ditched us for the second week in a row. Yeah, that's that's fine. I guess we just have to deal with that. But uh, there was some there was a story that I want to talk about. Something that had been coming in uh, over the last week, couple of weeks, and I'm just trying to find the tweet where it was. <laughs> Matt, what was the big story? You follow along on stu- on the stuff. What was the big story that everybody was sending to us? Um, I'm not. Sh- I don't know. I know I, I saw something um, about Uri Geller the other day. Oh, and you also you, you took a little bit of a beating by sharing something about Uri Geller. People, oh, yeah, yeah. People were like, hasn't this guy been, ex- uh, been explained to be a fraud? Oh, this, this, is, this is the story that I was looking at. This is the one that I wanted to bring up. You had it, and a number of people sent it to us. So being president, part of being president is that you uh, – are involved in the nomination of federal judges. And President Donald Trump has appointed, uh, has nominated for Alabama's federal district. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm assuming that this is somebody who will be replacing um, Judge Roy Moore, who's running for the Senate. So anyway, he, there's a, a federal spot open in Alabama. And the nomination from President Trump was a guy named Brett Talley. Now, Brett, Pal- Brett Talley failed to disclose that he was married to a White House lawyer, so there might be a conflict of interest, and also he's only 36 years old, so people are a l- little bit worried about whether or not he has the experience to be a federal judge. 
the fact that he's also worked as a horror novelist and ghost hunter. People feel like that should be something that weighs against him. So, Brett Talley has never shied away from this. You know, he, he doesn't... He doesn't hide from it. Uh, he actually says uh, in, in 2014 he did a, an interview no. with the Washington Post. Nor should he. Right. He talked about uh, working with the Tuscaloosa Paranormal Research Group. Uh, he talked about uh, some of the work that he's done, and he said, this is a direct quote that he told the Washington Post, I tend to believe that there's a good scientific explanation for the weird things people see and hear, but I'm open to the idea, and it's fun. And so he talked about how they go about the process and all that, and... So there's this question, I guess, from some people who are saying, well, do we want this guy to be a federal judge if this is what his hobby is? Mm -hmm. And you know firsthand, you've seen it, it goes right up my rear when people want to take what we do and what we're interested in and use it against us in some way. As if somehow, because this is what we pursue as, as a hobby, as an area of interest... There's something wrong with us. Right. I mean, last week we had a college professor on talking about the paranormal. Tonight we're going to have a, a college professor who's a doctor mm -hmm. talking about the paranormal. We've had very many academics over the years. I've had conversations with a Nobel Prize winning physicist over the paranormal. Like, these are people who, they have some cachet behind what it is that they do. It's not like they're just... You know, Joe Schmo ghost hunter. Right. I mean, there shouldn't be um, negative connotation associated with ghost hunting or paranormal investigation. But um, I could see, I could see why people would question a judge because it is um, the paranormal. I guess is a belief system. But I, I suppose that's true. But at the same time, it's not like he's saying that. Everything that they encounter is mm -hmm. real, either. Right. I mean, it would be another another thing if he was coming out and saying ghosts are legitimately real, and yeah, and you and have if, to believe in them, yeah, and, and and I'm going to allow them in my courtroom as as mm -hmm. evidence, you know. But, but just I, yeah, I don't think it's going to um, affect how um, what do you call it? Wait, you mean? You don't think it'll his affect his, like his decisions? His, yeah, it won't like, affect him when yeah, he's actually yeah. on the bench. Well, one of the one of the things that I think is uh, uh, the problem with this is the connotation of using a, a term like ghost hunter. You know, if they had said, you know, uh, Brett Talley is a noted paranormal skeptic, then people might be like, oh, well, of course he's going out there and telling these people how they're wrong for running around in the dark looking for ghosts. So yes, we fully support that. But but look, just. I'm just saying, with all the stuff that's been coming out in the news over the last couple of weeks, there are worse things that a guy who is seeking a, a certain position could do than running around in the dark looking for ghosts. You know, I don't right. think any of these ghosts have come forward and said that Brett Talley has sexually assaulted them. <laughs> so he's got one up over Roy Moore. Mm -hmm. He's got one up over a number of people in politics and entertainment right now. So, And I think, uh, like, across the, the nation, there's a widespread belief that uh, I mean, I think a, l a lot of people do believe in some sort of paranormal uh, activity. Right, but that's the thing that I've noticed is as much as the belief has grown mm -hmm. in it, we, we are cool with us believing in it, but we don't want to have 
other people believing in it. You know, like right. it's cool if we believe in it. It's cool for us, but we don't want to think that our judges and our politicians and our president and anybody else believes in it either. So right. I was going to say that's, I shared, that's um, go away. I, I shared a, uh, an infograph the, the other day from the Chapman University uh, with some uh, paranormal belief statistics. Oh, yeah. We, every couple of years we get some new yeah, ones yeah. out. What, what's, uh, what are some um, of the numbers? They always change it up a little bit. It's not just like who believes in ghosts or um, aliens. They, they always give like a, a little bit more of a, a definition. Um, but uh, 52% of the, the people that they asked, which I think it's, it was 1,000 people I think they asked, um, places can be haunted by spirits. 52% uh, percent of people uh, believe that that was true. So that's a that's a pretty good number of people. That's mm-hmm. you know, um, I guess five hundred and twenty out of a thousand. Twenty five percent believe people can move objects with their mind, and Bigfoot got shafted this year. Only sixteen percent believe in Bigfoot now. Is, is that a drop in Bigfoot beliefs? I, I feel like it is. I feel like it's a larger should be a See, larger I would, number. I would think the Bigfoot belief numbers are going up because Bigfoot mm-hmm. has become kind of the the go to trend in in the paranormal. Maybe. All these TV shows about finding Bigfoot and shooting Bigfoot and killing Bigfoot and marrying Bigfoot and I want to who wants to marry a Bigfoot and <laughs> you know who wants to be a millionaire Bigfoot. All these different shows that are out there now. Mm-hmm. I don't really watch a lot of them, so I'm not sure of the exact titles, but I think because right. you're you're one of the one of those people. Uh, well, I'd, I'd say I'm one of the 16. percent Yeah, I'd say that I believe that there's something to it. I just don't know what it is exactly. But I'm definitely in the 52% that think that there's – now, there's right. 52%, peop, 52% of people think that a place can be haunted? Yes. Because I would say, if somebody asked me that question, like, do you think a place can be haunted? I would say yes. Well, it says myself. haunted by spirit. So, I mean, could it be haunted by something else? Well, no, but I mean, I, I, there's a difference to me between having a haunting and having a ghost experience. So I would be curious to to wonder how many people would answer the question just straight out. Do you believe in the existence of ghosts? You know, a lot of these times with polls, you have to be careful because polls are kind of molded. Yeah. The questions are molded in a way where they're they're trying to get a, a specific answer out of you. But if they were saying to people, how many of you believe in the existence of ghosts? I bet you it would be higher than 52%. Because a haunting gives you... If, if you think about it, and if you're like us and you research it and you pay attention to it, the idea of a haunting is the idea that there's many spirits or, uh, you know, a, n- a number of incidents over time, and then it has to be something that happens frequently. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a haunting. Just having a ghost pop into your house one day doesn't mean your house is haunted. You know, your house is haunted if you don't feel comfortable, if it's if it's something that is weighing on your family, if it's something that's getting in the way of you living your day-to-day life, that's right. a haunting. But if it's just every once in a while I see something walking down the hallway, I, I wouldn't consider that to be haunting. I would just consider that to be paranormal activity. Right. I, th- I think I'd have to agree. There's probably more people who, are, who say that they've encountered something like a ghost that they can't or something that they can't explain of that nature. Right. Um, as opposed to like, my house is definitely haunted. Or yeah, that question. If the question was posed that way, you know, have you ever had a ghostly experience? Have you ever encountered a ghost? Do you believe that ghosts exist? I bet you it would be higher than fifty-two percent. I mean, I've seen oh, some yeah, polls definitely. where belief in ghosts is in the seventies to eighties in, in percentages. I mean, and that's I've got to think that that's probably more common now than it was even when we started doing the show. 
you know, 12 years ago. I think that what we've seen now is people willing to say, okay, there's there's got to be something to all of this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, I believe that they exist. And before, you know, let's just say it was the year 2000, and they did that poll, mm-hmm. and they asked that question, do you believe in ghosts? I think you would get a percentage of people answering it that had a ghostly experience, and that's why they would believe it. And I think now you probably have a good section of people that would answer that, that would say yes, that would answer in the affirmative, but never had an actual experience themselves. So that's that's where we're kind of expanding, expanding that gap a little bit, is that we're saying you don't necessarily have to have an experience anymore to believe in the possibility of having that experience, which is a good thing. Right. I'm, I'm for <laughs> it. Whatever it is, I'm Whatever against it. <laughs> so uh, we'll be joined in just a few minutes by our guest, Dr. Andrea Kita, And I just want to remind everybody that during the course of the night, as we, as we discuss the different topics, you can call in at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. We do not relegate questions during the show to just one portion of the interview. Uh, you know, we do like to have a little bit of an establishment of the conversation at the beginning, but... You know, at any time, if a question pops up in your mind, you can send it off in the chat room. You can call in with it. The one thing about the chat room tonight is I'm trying to monitor it as best I can. But, right. uh, you know, I'm also talking to the guests as well. So I will try to get to as many of them as I can. But we were talking about some things that we might be doing in the future uh, with, with Patreon and some other ideas. And, and mm-hmm. one of the things you had talked about was a, a super chat option. Oh, right. If um. Sometimes, uh, like, uh, during s- some shows, like, we get um, kind of bombarded with, uh, the, basically, the chat room kind of blows up. Right. And sometimes uh, someone has a question or... Uh, I mean, there's great conversation in there that goes on all the time around what we're talking about. Right. And so we might miss the question. So we do have um, we, we do have the option to do what YouTube calls a super chat, which is um, you could give, like, a little bit of money um, to, uh, to have your question um Make sure that question gets to us um, so that we pay attention to it more. And does that money go to YouTube or does it go to Spooky's Ah, uh, That would go to us. I'm all for this idea. <laughs> I like this idea. But, um, I mean, I, I'd be curious just to, um, uh, for like some feedback, if you guys are opposed to it, if you guys would be for it, or any ideas that you would have um for our Patreon, maybe. Yeah, we're definitely looking for ideas for the Patreon because, like, we just we think that we suck. So we're like, we don't really know what people are going to want to donate money for. Uh, but some of the ideas that we've kicked around include... I know everybody wants a shirt. Everybody wants I T-shirts. Know, I know. I'm going to work on getting that done. <laughs> T-shirts, bumper stickers, we're gonna, a Matt Moniz poster. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> but we're going to work on getting the uh, the spooky gear going this mm-hmm. winter because Dark Side Inc. is always, uh, always willing to work with us. So... We'll come up with some ideas, and, and it'll, it'll be one of those things where you'll place an order, and you'll have to allow six to eight weeks of delivery because we're going to have to collect the money and then order them because we're broke, and then we'll be able to ship them all out, and then whatever profit we make, we'll keep in the bank and we'll use to order more, and then it can go on in perpetuity. But see, what happened is last time that we had T-shirts, that was the idea, mm-hmm. and then somebody decided to start handing them out like they were the bumper stickers. Who's that? Uh, that wasn't me, right? No, that was the, right, uh, right. the Oprah Winfrey of Spooky South Coast here. You get a T-shirt, you get a T-shirt, everybody gets a T-shirt. But we couldn't say anything because you fronted the money for them, so, you know. Right. But uh, we're going to try and we're gonna try and get that stuff going back. Right. Got but, the word out there. 
but we are also looking for ideas of what you would want for the Patreon. So what I'm what I'm thinking is, you know, people complain that sometimes it takes a little while for the show to get uploaded to you to to mm-hmm. to our audio uh, podcast feed, which is true. So one of the options is, you know, very low level subscription, you'd be able to get an instant download of the show. As soon as the show is over, as soon as I pull it off the station skimmer and send it to myself for later polishing up and submitting for the podcast feed, we'll send it to you as well. So you're going to get the raw, uncut audio. Not that we ever cut content out, but, you know, we cut out commercials and bumpers and anything like that. You'll get the raw, uncut audio delivered to you as soon as the show is over, within the first hour Mm -hmm. after the show is over. So that's one of the things that we talked about. Another thing is, uh, you know, live weekly chats. Right. I don't know why anybody would want to do that, but people ask for it. A lot of people want to pick your brain. They do. And uh, so we would, you know, set up like a uh, Skype or something Mm -hmm. where you'd be able to join in and and interact. And, uh, you know, I'd I'd probably commit to doing it pretty much every week. But once in a while, we'll grab some of the other spooky crew and bring them in as well. Uh, What were some of the other ideas we had? Anything that was worth Um, mentioning? I had the idea of um, if um, for our Patreon subscribers to have um, access to a um, like an HD stream that would be a better quality than the regular stream that we put out so oh, yeah, it's like that's about like equivalent to cd quality of the of the podcast right not the stream right. the, yeah the podcast you'd get a higher quality podcast uh pseudon name is mentioning cafe press <laughs> no we we, we we did use them for a, yes. for a while but um one one wash in with those t-shirts and in fairness that was like 2006 that's true the they, quality maybe, may maybe be they, better but in 2006 it was terrible right like, we actually told people to stop ordering from stuff in the store. Right. Because we right. tried to shut down the shop, and it wouldn't let us. Yeah, like, just like, don't buy anything, because uh, it was so bad. My my first uh, Spooky South Coast shirt just disintegrated in, in the wash. Yep. It was terrible. Like, it would be one thing if, like, the shirt stayed okay, and, like, just the logo came off. Right, but it, it, this was like the, the sleeve was falling off. Yeah. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, like, this shirt that I'm wearing now is probably, what, 2010 we got these? Right, yeah, still holds up. So, it's seven... A little faded, but it's, I mean, it's the the um, the print's still there, and it still fits. I mean, I got fatter, but the shirts still <laughs> the shirts stayed the same. It didn't shrink at all, right. and uh, so it's certainly you know this is this is why we go with Dark Side Inc. The quality is there. When you buy a shirt from Dark Side Inc., it's going to be something that's going to last you a long time. It's not like Cafe Press where you're going to buy one twenty-five dollar T-shirt. And also, that's the other thing too, is we're able to keep the prices more affordable through Dark Side Inc. than we were through Cafe Press. Because Cafe Press, if we sell a shirt for you know twenty five dollars, they're getting like twenty of it. Right. So it's just it's this this is way better. So uh, there's but that's that's all right. Suit on name. I appreciate the help, but we have we have a friend. Right. We we have somebody that we work with. And uh, I think uh, Trex Trex Trex. Um, the the uh, vendor that we were talking about was um, Darkside Inc. Yes, um, you, can, you can Google Google it. Uh, it's Vinny, what, what's the Vin Pacheco. Vin Pacheco on Facebook. Anybody that goes to paranormal conventions, they know right. Vin Pacheco. You'll know him. Because you, you, you'll, you'll recognize him from the mustache and the sunglasses and the 10,000 rings that he has <laughs> on. He loves to wear his own product. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's the thing, like, with, with us, like, yeah, there's a lot of ways to, to do things uh, cheaper and easier and faster online. But we also like to try to 
work with people. And when we have friends that can do things, we want to make sure that we bring in our friends as well. Look at all the paranormal right. work. Supporting small business. Remember when he went and picked up these T-shirts and Vinny was like, oh, ghost hunting? I'd like to get into that. Right, yeah. And now look at him. Yeah. You know, he's around. He's doing more stuff than we and are. I think you, uh, you hooked him up with the Taps Fair mag. I did, yes. And then Back in the from there. Back in the Disney. It just went off. Now, now Dark Side Inc. is the go-to yep. paranormal and they forgot about printer. <laughs> well, we love you, Vinny. All right, well, why don't we take a break? We'll get our guest, Andrea Akita, on the phone. We'll come back in just a few minutes with some more. Uh, do you want to take a break, or do you want to just go in the other room and call? It's up to you. Why don't you just go in the other room and call, because I don't have any commercials to play. I was going to have to fake my way through a break. You got the number, right? All right. So, uh, and again, if you want to call in at any point during the show, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Those are the numbers to be able to call in, but you can also type in your question uh, via the chat room at YouTube. We have our Spooky South Coast YouTube channel up and running, and things seem to be going pretty good. And uh, also, you can tweet it to us at SpookySC or by using the hashtag SpookyLive. I'm going to keep checking that as well throughout the course of the show. You can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. There's no excuse if you want to get involved in the conversation. There's no excuse not to do so. But, of course, the best way is a good old-fashioned way by calling in at 508-996-0500. And we have these numbers up on SpookySouthCoast.com. We have them up uh, with the feed as well on, on the YouTube so, as we get into this discussion, and I, I think we're going to get pretty in-depth, I think we're going to get pretty intricate in some of the things that we talk about tonight. If you enjoyed last week's show with uh, Jeffrey Kripal, we're going to go even deeper, I think, with a lot of the topics that we discussed last week. And I just happened to see a tweet from Chris Balzano on Twitter, where he mentioned that uh, him and Dr. Kita had a, a couple of hours long conversation so I can only imagine that with tonight's show going until midnight, we're only going to hit the tip of the iceberg with all the things that we have to talk about. So why don't I bring on our guest right now? Uh, let me give you a little bit of her bio. Andrea Akita is a folklorist with a specialty in medicine, belief, and the supernatural. She is also interested in Internet folklore, narrative, and contemporary or urban legend. Her current research includes vaccines, pandemic illness, contagion and contamination, stigmatized diseases, disability, health information on the Internet, and Slenderman. She is co-editor of the journal Contemporary Legend, a scholarly journal published annually by the International Society for Contemporary Legend Research. And uh, she has numerous other credentials as well that we can talk about during the show. Uh, good evening, Dr. Kida. Are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Great to have you on. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. How are you? Yes, great to be here. Well, I have to say, very, very impressive credentials. And as I said to, to Matt Cost at the beginning of the show, we had uh, Jeffrey Kripal on last week, who's a, a professor. We have you on today. Like, we're really classing up the joint now with That's with right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I... First of all, one of the things that I've always loved about, uh, you know, our, our mutual friend, Chris Balzano, is I call him an analytical folklorist. As somebody who, yeah. he takes the stories and he breaks them down and figures out what they all mean. And I love yeah. somebody such as yourself that can do that, that can look at a story and realize that it's, it's more than just the story. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much more there. I mean, you know, that's one thing that I think drives every folklorist crazy is when people say that something's like just folklore and it's like, oh, no, there's so much more stuff there. Like, you don't even know, um, you know, how many layers are at everything, which is what's so exciting about talking to guys like you because you kind of get it. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, 
I suppose, though, it, it, at, the, at the forefront of all of this, uh, folklore has to be a good story. I mean, there has to be a good story for it to get shared and for it to get passed around and for it to have meaning. There has to at least be something that is entertaining, engaging, gripping about the story itself. Yeah. Is is yeah, there absolutely? I mean, is there any kind of? I mean, is is there any kind of trick to that? Is there is there any? Obviously, you can play on people's emotions as a good way to to get people to yeah. to fall into a story. Yeah, you know, there's there's no one single trick for sure. Um, I think things just have to be kind of the right place, right time in a lot of ways, and and we do see failures of that all the time. Um, so we'll actually hear like something will start kind of becoming a story, and then it just gets dropped off because. You know, something about it just doesn't work. Um, and the, the sort of classic example I always use, like, in classes and stuff, is um, right after 9-11, there was very briefly this story that Jackie Chan was supposed to be in the Twin Towers. And it didn't take off because everybody was like, no, Jackie Chan seems like a really nice guy. Like, what would he have to do with any of this? And, you know, so it was like it was there for this really brief period of time. But then all these other stories that were around there, like that there were no um, uh, tabs around the Twin Towers right after, like, on, on 9-11, or that there were, you know, there's all these other sort of stories that, that kind of seemed more real. So, of course, then they caught on in a lot of different ways. But that was one of the ones that just got dropped because it just didn't feel right. right. So we see that happen all the time. Something starts off and it sounds like it's a pretty good story, but then things change and it, it gets dropped. Well, and also it can, uh, you know, it'll also morph, too, as well, I'm sure, where, you know, mm-hmm. the, the story, I mean, for example, you know, uh, just talking urban legend stuff, you know, you might hear that mm-hmm. uh, uh, a certain celebrity did something lewd and ended up having to go to the hospital, and and then, yeah. but then it turns out it's not that person, but then people start telling about another person. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, Richard Gere having gerbils up his oh, exactly. ass. Exactly, I was going to say, you're going for Richard Gere, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I was also thinking, the, the I, I didn't want to get into it because it's a little too graphic for, for terrestrial radio, but the... Whether or not it was Rod, whether it was Rod Stewart or Mick Jagger that had to have a stomach pump, nobody's really sure. Yeah, exactly. There's so many stories that yeah, it, it ends up being a very transferable story because you know there's something about it that's believable, and that's something we always look for when we're talking about contemporary or urban legends. We look for something that sounds like it could be true, and that's the stuff that really sticks around. Is that that thing that has that like little bit of like, well, you know, maybe they could have been that person. So. And I, and I love that because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's true. And I know that that sounds terrible mm-hmm. because, you know, you would hate to think that people are making things up about these people. But it doesn't have yeah. to be true for it to, to grip people's minds and to get them to talk about it. It just has to have enough of that, like, well, maybe it is. And, you know, you weren't there. You can't say that it wasn't true. Yeah, exactly. So that, that believability is important. But it is true, though, that sometimes folklore is true. Like, so sometimes people kind of equate the, the term folklore with things that are automatically false, but not always. You know, sometimes it is true. Um, and that's what kind of makes it interesting to look into because, you know, when you first start to hear these things, there's, there is that believability element. And even as a folklorist, as someone who studies this stuff, you, you have that pause where you're like, okay, well, you know, I better look into this because maybe that did actually happen. So. Well, just doing a little bit of amateur mm-hmm. etymology here, I would say that folklore mm-hmm. is kind of, I would say it's like stories of, of the people and that these are stories mm-hmm. that were shared amongst people. Was there, was there a counter balance to that? Was there something that folklore was kind of like the, you know, the, the, the amateur version of? Was there a, a more formalized storytelling that wouldn't maybe have the same themes? 
Yeah, you know, I always think of, of folklore as being sort of the unofficial. Um, it, it's the, it is the counter-narrative for, to the dominant narrative in a lot of different ways. So, you know, that's why I think it is, is um, a lot of times when I, I do my, like, sort of quick definition of folklore, I, I talk about how it's informal knowledge. It's all the stuff you know you know, but you don't know how you know it. So, <laughs> and I think that's a, a kind of a good way of looking at it, because there is that, that sense of authority and this being sort of a counter-narrative to authority at times, but not always. You know, sometimes it, it is um, a story that hasn't heard frequently, but it's, um, it is kind of, in some ways, counter to that dominant narrative. Um, so, and that's part of what makes it interesting too, is that that it's um, something different than what we normally hear. But there, there doesn't have to be it. It, it doesn't have to be something mm-hmm. that is uh, purposely, uh, you know, counterculture. It doesn't have to be something that's purposely yeah. going against that that main narrative. It can just be. It, it's almost like I look at it like uh, as if you, you know, you watch a story on the news, and two mm-hmm. people are sitting there watching this this CNN news report. And then somebody turns to the other person in the room and says, well, actually, you know what I heard? And it's kind of like that same idea of it's taking that story and kind of putting a, a different twist or a different emphasis on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that and we're affected by that in so many different ways. Um, like even in that, that kind of the scenario you're talking about, um, someone's going to at times tell personal experience narratives, things that actually happened to them. Um, other times they're going to tell urban legends because it's something that they've heard. And they, it sounds like something that could be true. So there's so many options in that case that, that, you know, all things that qualify as folklore, but maybe, you know, aren't, aren't necessarily part of that dominant narrative or are sort of sometimes counter and sometimes not. Is, is there a, uh, I'm trying, I'm just trying to picture in my head, you know, not only yeah. the, the current way of taking it, but also kind of through history as well. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's always been those who are storytellers, people whose job mm-hmm. it was to pass along uh, stories from, from one generation to the next and from one people to the next. But it seems like folklore is for everybody. It's a story that anybody can tell anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, that's part of the greatest part about being a folklorist is, you know, we know a lot about the structure and the narrative. We do all the analysis. But the people who actually tell us the stories are the experts. We're not the experts. Everyone is the expert. Um, and that's the coolest part about folklore is that it's something that we all engage in on some level. Like, we've all engaged in it in some point. Um, or we're currently engaging in it right now. Um, so that's what is so cool because, like, like, especially when I teach in class, you know, there's no other class that my students can walk into and already be an expert. Um, but they are an expert in folklore. Um, they know all of this stuff already. I just have to, to talk to them about a different way of thinking about it and a different way of analyzing it. Well, and that is kind of, uh, you know, people tell these stories throughout their whole lives, but they don't take a step back mm-hmm. and, and think about the meaning and, and, and what it is that they're doing in telling the story. You know, everybody, we, we do what we call legend tripping, where we, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure that you talked about that at length with, with Chris, where, you know, we're going out there and we're trying to just put ourselves into these stories and then share those experiences with other people. And that by doing that, we become part of the story. And with, yeah, absolutely. with folklore, isn't anybody that tells the story kind of just adding a, a piece to it somewhere along the line? Absolutely, because every story is different, and the way that people tell it, um, I mean, people constantly change the story. They add a little bit to it. They take a little bit away from it. So that story is just constantly being modified and changed, and it's, it's, make, it's being made more relevant a lot of times, too. So there's, like, there's versions of, of stories that we have that are so incredibly old, um, but we've just modernized them in a lot of different ways. So, like, I often think of, like, all the stories that you used to hear about, like, remember, like, 
your grandparents and everything telling you, like, you sat too close to the TV and it was going to give you cancer. Yes. Um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, we hear not now about cell phones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you know, oh, if you, you know, use something to, to keep your cell phone away from the side of your face because that's going to give you cancer. Um, or don't put it in your pocket because it'll give you cancer. Um, so it's all the same stories. It's just about a different, newer form of technology. Um, so that's what's so cool about the stuff is that it does change and modify over time. And, I mean, ghost photography is a great example of that. Um, you know, there's all the different ways that people used to think that you could capture ghosts on film. And it was, you know, some people believe that you could be, you know, sort of imprinted on the actual physical film itself. And other people believe that it was the energy that came through um, the electronics itself. Um, so we've kind of constantly changed our perception of, even with something like that, how it actually works. Um, but it's all kind of tied into a, like the sort of larger, older story of this is how these things work, Right. Absolutely. See, and what we do is we also, as a people, we overcome some of those those things, too, because, you know, our grandmothers told mm-hmm. us not to sit too close to the TV, so what do we do? We just made bigger, more, higher-definition TVs. <laughs> so now we sit far away, but it's still just as big. It's still just right up in our face. Exactly, right? <laughs> I don't know how to fix the cell phone cancer problem, though. I'm, I'm a little worried about my yeah, butt Yeah, I don't know. Um, I actually, background. a couple of, of years ago, I had uh, a student who brought in, her mother had brought her these stickers, and you could actually put them on your cell phone, and it was supposed to help block some of the, I guess, the radioactivity. I don't know exactly what it was supposed to block. She wasn't entirely sure either. Um, but she bought them for her, her daughter and all of her daughter's roommates, and they all put them on their phone because it, it didn't hurt. Right. Right? <laughs> so, um, and that's one of the other things I love, too, is sometimes we don't even believe in things, but we do them anyway because it doesn't hurt. Right. right? Well, it's I mean, not hard to, like, avoid a ladder. Um, you know, it's not hard to... You know, put a sticker on your cell phone, that kind of stuff. So we'll just do it because, you know, it, it, why not? It can't hurt, right? Well, that's, that's what I love about superstition is that people tell you they don't believe in it, but then they do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And and we see that all the time. People pass on beliefs they don't believe in. Like, if somebody breaks a mirror around you, regardless of whether or not you believe that seven years bad luck, you're going to say that to them or you're at least going to think it, right? Well, I, I mean... I, 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 would, I never say that when it comes to breaking mirrors, only because, like, I'm so funny looking, I've probably broken more than my fair share. So I don't worry about that. But I always thought that that idea of breaking mirrors came from a time when mirrors were so expensive that, you know, uh, yeah. that it was kind of just a way to keep people from, from mishandling them and, and from taking extra care when holding them. You know what? And there probably was something to that. Absolutely. Because they were very expensive. So you wanted to be careful around them. Oh well, I mean, now they're even now they're kind of pricey because I've been I've been looking for a good mirror that I can use for like a, a portable psychomantium to take some of our haunted events and like I'm looking at them in the store and I'm like, really? It's still that much money for a mirror? I'm just gonna end up breaking it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? <laughs> but I guess if it if it holds seven years worth of good luck in it, if it doesn't break, then I, I yeah, guess yeah, you know, uh, there you go. Yeah, so that's what it's worth. It. It. <laughs> yeah, divide it by seven, and you're only paying you know ten bucks a year. It's not that bad. <laughs> we'd, we'd pay that. So taking a look at your uh, your credentials and your background, it, mm-hmm. it, it obviously yeah. uh, medicine is a big focus for you. Um, yeah. How does the world of medicine and folklore cross with each other? Oh, you know what? It does it all the time. And, and one of the things I'm the most interested in is um, especially how urban legends affect people's medical decision-making. So if they hear a story about something, does that actually affect the decisions they make about medicine. So I think when a lot of people hear folk medicine, they always think of like the older stuff, like old remedies for things. And, and that's certainly part of it as well. 
Um, but I'm really interested in, like, the really modern stuff. So, like, how does, and, you know, my specialty is the anti-vaccination movement. So how does the, all of these stories about how, like, the MMR vaccine causing autism, how does it actually affect people's decision whether or not to get their children the MMR vaccine? Um, so I think that's really, really interesting, fascinating stuff because there's so much research out there, um, and especially now that, that uh, you know, terms like fake news have become really popular. I was like, wow, guys, no, that was around for, that's been around forever. And I, could, I saw it all over the place with alternative health websites. And some of them have, you know, good, decent information, but some are terrible, and they, they don't have good information on them. Um, but that still affects how people decide um, what they're going to do when it comes to you know, am I going to take this medication? Am I going to take this vaccine? Um, so there's both good and bad about it because, you know, the Internet has given us also this space where we can research our own health conditions. We can um, connect with other people who have similar conditions, which is really great. Um, it also gives us a lot of access, especially for people who maybe were not able to participate in a lot of these conversations before. They can now participate. Um, because they have the access um, via the Internet. So it's such an interesting place to look at how health and belief really affect people's everyday lives. So it's just fascinating. I mean, it really is. Like, it's it's people are getting to the point where they're starting to believe in the power of belief when it comes to their own health more than, you know, it's almost like it's cyclical with the way that we would have felt mm -hmm. with spiritualism, you know, hundreds of years ago. And now it's kind of coming back full circle where, yeah, medicine is great and medicine helps, but we also want to try to find ways to kind of heal ourselves and to, and to believe that we, like just the other night, you know, I've, I've been going through mm -hmm. a little bit of a, a health issue and I'm laying on my bed and I'm visualizing, uh, you know, mm -hmm. trying to solve this problem while I'm laying there in bed. And I think people are starting to look into that more and more. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, um, especially with things like visualization, there's, there's actually some pretty good evidence that um, it can help. But that's not to say because, you know, the sort of other side of that is there's a sort of implication that if you can't heal yourself, you're not trying hard enough, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a really negative thing to kind of say that, like, you know, if you just thought more positively or if you just tried harder, you could heal yourself. Well, obviously, that's not always true. Um, so, you know, there's so many different factors involved. So it is, it's so interesting to see how belief has, has started to affect these things. So I think, you know, things like visualization, which have, you know, pretty good evidence, are pretty great. But they don't work for everybody. Um, and then that becomes problematic, too. And, I, you know, I love that one of the areas that you research into is the is health information on the Internet, because, you know, just as, uh, you know, everybody on Facebook is a lawyer, everybody on Facebook thinks they're a doctor, too. You know, everybody kind of has their, well, this is what I do, and this works for me. And, you know, and then somebody mm -hmm. says it didn't work for me. Well, then you must be doing it wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there is that, that sort of idea, which is so funny, because we know um, when we look at, at sort of, you know, official medicine, so not everything works for everybody, but we're not as sympathetic when it comes to alternative medicine sometimes. They're like, well, if you just tried harder, if you just did more, you would, it would work for you. It's like, well, no, of course, not everything works for everybody. Right. I can't tell you how many times, like, I've had something that, you know, might be wrong, something that might just be a little bit off, and, and I'll get 100 people mm -hmm. that tell me, go to GNC and buy this. But everybody's telling me something different. <laughs> I'm like, if I go into yeah. GNC and buy one of those things, it's more money than I'm wanting to spend, let alone buying a hundred yeah. different things. Well, and that's a big part of it, too. We can't forget that sometimes these alternative health websites are linked to places where you can buy things. So they're not so much good information or even information that's trying to be helpful. They're sometimes just information that's trying to sell stuff to people. Yeah, well, that's that's the other thing, too, is, you know, we look at it, especially in this 
genre and in, in the the mm-hmm. alternative talk we can say you know paranormal topics strange and unusual stuff mm-hmm. we get a lot of these um you know these the st- the stuff that the carnivora the things like that things that you're supposed to take that are going to make you feel better things that you're going to take that are going to make you survive the coming apocalypse you know all these different things yeah. that are really just more hype than they are anything else well and that's just it cuz unfortunately especially with things when we're talking about the paranormal and the supernatural um just one charlatan or one bad person can really turn everybody against it so you know just like you have good and bad physicians you have good and bad psychics you have good and bad everything right so some people are out for the money but there are other people that are genuinely trying to help people well we i guess though if if you can believe in something and it works for you then it's it's worth that even if it's just a a placebo effect but if it can be enough for you to buy into it then it it works and i say that all the time about psychics i I argue my usual Mm -hmm. co-host stephanie burke is a psychic Mm -hmm. medium she's she's out tonight at an event but we argue all Mm -hmm. the time about the value of people going to a bad psychic you know she sees it as if somebody else is doing the same job that she can do with that she's a legitimate psychic but somebody's going to see somebody else who is just kind of cold reading them and telling them what they want to hear i say but there's still some value in that because if it makes the person feel better in the end that's really all that matters well that's just it and i think we we tend to undersell the placebo effect in a lot of different ways and including with with things like psychics i mean if the end result is does the person feel better well then you know it's been a successful treatment to some extent right um, so if, you know, somebody tries an alternative health care treatment and it works for them, well, then great. You know, maybe they're in less pain or maybe they're managing their symptoms better or maybe, you know, it, it helps them self-heal or whatever it's going to be. Um, so I don't think we should discount placebo because it, it does have some value. Now, I understand as, as, you know, for someone who, like, is a psychic, they probably get pretty ticked off about the ones that, that you know, don't uh, sure, maybe yeah. aren't as, as ethical, of course. But but yeah, in some cases, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily, you know, all bad. Um, maybe you know we can we can certainly question their ethics, but um, if maybe they they do help people, you know. And I mean, there are some cases too where somebody just needs to hear something. Um, you know, I talk to people that that do this kind of stuff all the time, and you know, sometimes they're like, yeah, I'm just here to listen, and and almost like a, a sort of amateur, you know, psychologist just let them talk and that's all they need um in some cases that's what they need and and sometimes you know sadly enough psychics are sometimes cheaper than psychologists so um they get what they need from those people and there's um there's value in that too and that's one of the things that we've talked about too is that uh Mm -hmm. stephanie and i where you know some people are doing this just to go back to the psychics you know they're going Mm -hmm. into this and and thinking that they are legitimately psychics even though they're not Mm -hmm. really doing it right so to speak they have the feeling because it's kind of you know they've they've bought into the idea as well so and i think that that's part of what why this doesn't always work for everybody when it comes to some of these alternative medicines ideas just because it worked for you Mm -hmm. and as you said it's not going to work for everybody but when it does work for you you become so hardened in that belief that it was the right thing that you can't Mm -hmm. understand why it isn't the right thing for somebody else yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, and it is. It's all about what works for people. And I don't think that, you know, if it does, if, if, if in the end it, it reduces suffering, then great. You know, <laughs> great. We've been successful. Now, is there, um, I, I mean, there is some, some downside to preying on people's, uh, you know, when, when, when people aren't at their best, when people are, 
yeah. in searching for answers, there there is some downside mm-hmm. to preying on that and to trying to profit yeah. off it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I I don't have a whole lot of uh, <laughs> time for that. I I really don't think that, especially when people are are suffering, that they should anybody should prey on that. Um, you know, I and I think there there are times. You know, I've been around. Even other psychics and everything who have been who have said things like, you know, I just can't read this person. And a lot of times they're like, here's your money back. Like here, you know, like uh, for some reason I can't read you. I don't know why it's just not working. Um, and I think that's, that's an honest answer. But sometimes you come across people who will say something no matter what. Um, and that's you know that's where we get really problematic, especially as as the price starts to go up and up sometimes in, in some of these cases. And you know, and that is. That's generally being a bad person, and I'm not going to support that. Um, but unfortunately, it does. It you know, it can really harm the entire area of what they're doing, or or the benefit that they can have because of one or two bad people. Absolutely, and we see that a lot in in the paranormal realm, mm-hmm. as, as you mentioned. It mm-hmm. only takes one person screwing it up to make people question everybody, and it only takes you know, like for, just for example, you know, we do we do mm-hmm. paranormal events as a way to get out there and and raise money for mm-hmm. historical places, and it just takes one person screwing over somebody for everybody yep. to to get looked at with the stink eye. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, hopefully people won't mind then now that I will segue into a promotion for our next event, which is uh, a <laughs> no. uh, – but we do have one, actually. No, all kidding aside, mm-hmm. uh, if anybody wants to go to SpookySouthCoast.com, Lizzie's March to Murder, it's up there for sale. There's, there's a few tickets remaining. Uh, we are going to take a break coming up uh, in just a minute for our network news. Uh, but when we come back on the other side, I want to get more into the idea of, of some of this folklore about the supernatural, especially some of these things that have – uh, kind of stood the test of time, which uh, a lot of these do. And, and of course, I definitely want to get into Slender Man because I know that that is something that is uh, – it's the perfect example of how a made-up story can become something tangible. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get into all that and more uh, coming up in just a few moments. Again, if anybody wants to call in during the show, uh, you can do so by calling in at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can tweet us your questions at SpookySC or using the hashtag SpookyLive. Email them, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, you can also uh, send us, uh, what was the other way that you can get? Oh, in the chat room at SpookyTV at SpookySouthCoast.com or on YouTube or however you are watching the show live. There's usually a chat room option there. Just type in your question. I'm trying to keep up with the uh, stuff there as much as I can. Uh, but, you know, of course, the, the conversation always just goes off on tangents, which is it's awesome. That's why we have the chat room. We want that to happen. We want people to engage in conversations. Uh, but we will certainly try to keep our eyes out for some uh, for some questions there as well. So we are going to take a break for the news. When we come back, more with our guest, Dr. Andrea Akita. Your questions as well coming up in the next hour. Stay tuned for more Spooky South Coast. South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. 
Science advisor Matt Moniz and Stephanie Bark both out of the spooky studio tonight. I don't know exactly what Moniz is up to, but uh, Stephanie is at her. Um, what's the name of the event? Do you remember? I don't remember. It's uh, Spooky Thanksgiving or something I think like so, that. Yeah. yeah, they're trying to reach off yep. her name. Stealing the name. So, uh, but it's uh, herself and Dustin Parry and uh, Dustin Parry and um, Cody's there and Ashley and everybody and we're here. Doing the show because right. I hope have, they I hope they bring us uh, a Thanksgiving sandwich. That's all that I care about. Because they they do have a turkey dinner there. I wanted I wanted to be here to do the show because we have a great guest and we'll get right back into it with Dr. Andrea Kita in just a moment. But I I do want a turkey sandwich. So there's that too. Right. There's nothing better than a Thanksgiving sandwich. Right. Do you do you just real quickly? We mm-hmm. we have to talk about food at some point during the show, right. so we might as well do it now. Real quickly, what goes on your perfect Thanksgiving sandwich? Um, do you want me to start with the base? Yes. <laughs> uh, base is mashed potatoes. Okay. On on top of the bread. Right. Okay. Uh, then. Um, um, what kind peas. of bread, by the way? Um, doesn't matter. White bread. All right. Whatever bread's laying around. Um, usually, uh, potatoes, peas, uh, turkey, gravy. Cranberry sauce on the other side. Stick it together. See, you go full out with the, oh, with yeah. the peas and everything. If, so, if, if there's butternut squash, then butternut, that goes in the middle, too. That, the butternut squash is the key. It's got to go in the middle, though. So I go I go white bread. I go mayonnaise. you got to have the mayonnaise on it. Okay. All right. Then I hit it with some stuffing. Then oh, I, I got the stuffing. Yeah, there's stuffing in there somewhere. Yeah. I hit it with the stuffing. Then I hit it with the squash. Mm-hmm. Then I hit it because I like the squash to go between the the turkey and the and the stuffing. Then the turkey, then the cranberry sauce, mm-hmm. and then more mayonnaise on the other piece of bread. That's it. That's all that I need. Yeah, and that's uh, a good sandwich. If there's some more pearl onions, I like a few of those on the side. Yeah, and it, it's it somehow tastes better at like twelve thirty at night. Like right. Yeah, after Thanksgiving is done. I mean, I haven't made Thanksgiving at my house ever. It's always been we've gone to somebody else's house, but we always make sure we take plenty of leftovers right. for the inevitable desire. Let's uh, let's bring our guest, Dr. Andrea Kita, back and ask her, uh, Dr. Kita, what's your perfect Thanksgiving sandwich if, if you were going to construct one? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not much of a sandwich person. I just go for... Well, well this has been a great interview. Again. Thanks for talking <laughs> with us, but uh, we only talk to sandwich people on this show. <laughs> That's it. I'm out now, right? <laughs> but you know, uh, but a sandwich is just like a you know, just like a good folklore story. You know, everybody's got their own take on it. Everybody's got their own way That's of right. of uh, you know, as long as as long as the, the the meat in the middle is the same, how you get to that meat is uh, all up to you. <laughs> That's it. That's a very good analogy. <laughs> if it's one thing I can do, I can make up food analogies all day long. <laughs> So we, we've been talking a, a bit in the first hour. We talked uh, quite a bit about, about medicine and, and about your work in, in that regard. But uh, also, you know, a big part of what you deal in, as we mentioned before, is folklore, superstition, and, mm-hmm. and the supernatural. And it's uh, – I, I mean, I, I hate to ask you how long you've been doing this for, but was there a time in your career when – the supernatural wasn't something that you felt comfortable or, or that was accepted being talked about in a classroom environment? You know, that's a really good question. Um, actually, when I first got started, I was always I was always interested in the supernatural, but I was sort of told, like, well, you know, you get, you get your job, get tenure, then you can do supernatural. Right. <laughs> so, and that was something I, I kind of, uh, you know, I followed a bit. Um, I, you know, I got asked at one point, 
at my university, you know, we want to do a, a new fun course. We wanted to have a really cool title. Do you have any ideas? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I want to teach a class called The Supernatural. And, you know, of course, that has, once we developed it, has become the most popular course there. So, um, but yeah, there, there is that, there's that, that tension there, too. And I've actually had people discredit my work with medicine because I also do The Supernatural, mm. um, which I think is kind of hilarious. Yeah, we were but. talking about that uh, at the beginning of the show about, uh, uh, the person that yeah, uh, Donald Trump nominated. Probably, yeah. I mean, what, what, what's? I don't understand why that should matter. Why that should take away? You know, I I actually got into an argument. I used to do a Saturday morning general mm-hmm. talk show here on the station, and I got mm-hmm. into it one day with a call. Actually, my last show, I got into it with a caller who said, you know, that I I wasn't entitled to have my opinions on politics or the economy or anything like that because I'm a ghost hunter. Yeah, and you know, I think that is very problematic, and it's, it's um, something we actually talk about a lot in folklore. We talk about the, the traditions of belief and disbelief, um, which is this idea from David Hufford, who's this, this whole sort of concept that just as there's traditional things to believe in, there's traditional things to disbelieve in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're totally fine in North American culture, generally speaking, um, that, you know, we're fine with somebody to, like, if you have a belief in a deity, that's not too bad, right? We're, we're pretty cool with that. Um, and it's like, you know, then there's, like, these gray areas where, like, you know, do you believe in, like, supernatural creatures like angels? Like, angels more okay maybe than ghosts for some people. But then, like, if we cross into, like, oh, you know, um, Jesus is having breakfast with me, now we're into, a, like, a whole different area, right? right. <laughs> so it's like, it's fine to believe in Jesus, but not if he's having breakfast with you. So, you know, there's all these, these lines that we draw, and they're really arbitrary. Um, you know, if, if we're going to really think about what is a, a rational belief, um, you know, we don't really decide things based on that. We decide more on, on the fact that they're something that we've always believed in and we haven't always believed in them. Um, 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 so, it, you know, it is an, uh, the supernatural is an arbitrary sort of line that we've, de- we've decided is something that we're not supposed to believe in. And I think part of the problem, and, and I'm, I'm sure that you uh, have, mm-hmm. have delved into this deeper than, than I have, but one of the things that I've realized is that when you look at American history, you know, we're only a couple of hundred years old. We've got a mm-hmm. variety of different cultures. So if you go to other countries where they have, A, a longer history with their people, and B, a more of a concentration of one certain kind of people and belief set, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, these traditions can take hold there a little bit easier. Here in America, it's almost like it's a, it's a, it's a culture shock of all of these amalgamations of different belief systems and different supernatural beliefs and everything kind of all thrown together, and we expect it all to coexist. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's one of the, um, to go back to, to something else Huff, David Hufford said, was um, he had this really succinct way of talking about belief, and I thought it was it's just so beautiful and perfect. But he said, you know, what I know, I know, but what you know, you only believe. <laughs> I thought, that's like perfect. That's exactly how we approach other people's beliefs, right? Well, the things that we believe we're totally sure about, but when we talk about other people's beliefs, that we think of them as being, you know, sort of arbitrary or not as deeply felt as our own beliefs. Um, and that's, of course, simply not true. Everybody, you know, the way we process belief and the way we, we think about belief, it's really complicated. You know, I mean, it, and it's not just something you just wake up one day and decide to believe in something. Like, it, it, it's a long process. People have experiences. They have, you know, they hear stories. They have all this sort of amalgamation of information. And then they make a decision about whether or not to believe that. And that changes throughout life. But we, we tend to treat it as this, this thing that is, irrational and is illogical, um, when in actuality there's a lot of, of reason and logic applied to belief. It's, you know, 
but we also kind of tend to think of the words reason and logic as being also um, synonymous with correct. No, it's not always correct, um, but, you know, there is reason and logic behind it. Well, I also think we don't do ourselves any favors with the way that we introduce these stories to people because, you know, we're going to tell stories of a lot of stories of folklore and, and fairy tales mm-hmm. and things of that nature to young kids. And then at the same time, mm-hmm. we're also telling them that none of this stuff is real. So you're you're giving them these stories that they can't really – they don't have the opportunity to analyze because you're telling them right from the beginning it's just a good story and that's it. Yeah, and, and that's so problematic when we think about even things like trust. Um, you know, we're not really building up a really good system of trust with children if we, like, tell them all these stories and then tell them later that we were lying to them. Right. So, you know, that's a, that's a really problematic sort of system to set up. I mean, how- Yeah, they, there's so many things that we're taught um, as children and then taught later on that they're not true. You know, it's the, one of the first things that your parents do is start lying to you. They lie to you about the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, and Santa Claus. So mm-hmm. automatically, you know, like, it, I, I'm, I'll never forget, you know, the this, this story of my son when, you know, he found out uh, that there was no Santa Claus. Uh, he was he was very upset because he said, you know, all those years I thought it was somebody else that was giving me those gifts when actually I should have been thanking my parents. You know, and it's like, yeah. it's, and some people, that's the way that they take it. It's, you know, you're lying to them, and now they're like, well, can I trust you about any of this stuff that you've told me now over the years? Yeah, exactly. Although it all, it's still, it's, I hate to crap on the magic, but it still astounds me that any kid buys into that story anymore, really, when you look at it, because you're like, <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense at all. But, no, but, you know, <laughs> but, they, but they believe it because they, they trust the parents, right? Right. And we're just abusing yeah, so, that trust as parents. Yeah, so we're really kind of setting up a really bad system when we think about it that way. That's that's all right, though, because they, they end up becoming smarter than us anyway, and they get the last <laughs> word in the end. Uh, so, but a lot of these, uh, you know, these, these stories that we tell in, in this country have come from Europe. We've brought a lot of our, our folklore over from mm-hmm. there, but we've also created some of our own uniquely American folklore as well. Uh, what What would you say is probably the... If you're going to take a look at all the different story, you know, all the archetypes of stories, is is there one mm-hmm. thematic element that has kind of traveled across all cultures? I mean, I know, you know, I know the story of the hero is something that has transcended uh, pretty much through every generation, especially the tragic hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I don't like to think too much about. So I have one problem with archetype. I'll just say that right off the bat, and I think um, some folklore will agree with me, and some won't. Um, my personal opinion is that context really matters. Um, so when we think about, like, these stories that sort of transcend time, we also have to think about the context of those stories, right? So, like, a lot of people always point to, like, something like Cinderella. So, like, almost every culture has a story about Cinderella, right? Or, or they at least have a story about a girl who um, is sort of, like, put to a lower position in her family and forced to work, and then later on her, her actual position is sort of realized, and, you know, she good things happen to her. Um, and I mean, yes, that's that's true. That's a, a pretty common type of story, um, but the context of it is so different, right? In every different culture, so there's all these different versions of that story, and and all those little details actually really matter a lot. Um, so it, it could be anything from you know the, you know, was it her her mother or her stepmother? Was it her, you know, her father dies or he doesn't die? What kind of shoe is it? You know, there's there's so many other little things other even than that. Um, other than those sort of motifs in it, um, that really matter. Like, um, you know, what is the, the cultural situation that she grew up in? Um, what is, you know, where is the, uh, 
you know, like the lines of lineage and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's so many complicated things there. Um, but I do think there are things that, that you know, we understand um, as human beings. Like there, there are things, too, that are kind of unique um, about us, but there's also things that we have in common, right? Um, we understand general feelings like um, betrayal, love, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and then those stories... You know, we, we kind of refer to it in, in folklore as polygenesis. More than one person could kind of come up with some of these stories. So it makes sense. It's not like there's ever you know, one single story that all these things kind of come from. Right. Um, but, yeah, there's there's so many things when we think about um, so many stories that have some similarities across across the way. Um, and then just things that stick around for a really long time. Um, I always think of um, one of the oldest urban legends that we know about is the Vanishing Hitchhiker legend, um, which is a pretty common story about usually the modern versions involve someone picking up a hitchhiker and then finding out kind of through the night, either she disappears from the back seat of the car, she leaves the sweater behind, something like that happens, and they, the person finds out that they, she died like 10 years ago that very night. Um, and we actually know of versions of that that all go all the way back to um, people riding on horseback, people wow. being in carriages. Um, and there's even a story, too, that's even older that goes to um, two people walking next to each other. Um, the horseback one's actually one of the best ones um, because uh, this guy actually picks up this woman alongside of the road, puts him in front of him on the horse. She gets heavier as the night goes on, and when he like comes to the town in the morning, he realizes that there's actually a corpse in front of him. Wow! <laughs> so I think oh, it's I like a that one. Story. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's why I have to tell it. That's way better than the Dickie Lee song, where it's just, "Oh, I found a sweater on her grave," you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, right. It's so much better than a sweater on a grave. <laughs> a- AKA the Growing Pains episode for anybody the the Halloween Growing Pains episode for anybody that remembers that. But, uh, but we, I mean, yeah. we even we have our own hitchhiker story here, where you know where we are on the south mm-hmm. coast of Massachusetts, we have our red-headed hitchhiker to Route 44, and and that same story oh, is told nice. up and down every road. You know, it's not it's not anything that. Uh, although, what's what's interesting is mm-hmm. I look at it the same way you do, where it's 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 a story, and there's really no mm-hmm. way to kind of trace it back to any kernel of truth, except for the fact that we do a stage show called mm-hmm. An Evening of Ghost Stories and New England Legends, where myself and some of my friends, we tell these ghost stories in front of these giant photos uh, displayed on a, on a big screen behind us, and it's like, a, mm-hmm. it's like a ghost tour on stage. And so I get up there the first time, and I tell the story of the red-headed hitchhiker of Route 44, and a guy comes mm-hmm. up to me after the show and starts talking to me and says, you know, you mentioned in that that there's no record of anything ever happening on that part of the road or anything, but, he, but uh, my brother's a cop, and he starts telling me the whole story of who this red-headed hitchhiker probably is and where that ghost oh, story wow. came about, which kind of blew my mind because I'm like, but no, this is just a story that's told everywhere. How can there be this one true person that this one traces back to? But it just goes to show that maybe the, the real-life tragic event happens and the urban legend just builds up around it. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, that's entirely possible with a lot of these because some of them are stories that where something like that could happen. I mean, that that's that, that believable element of them. There's, you know, they sound like something that could absolutely happen. Or, or maybe, you know, something just happens, the story exists, and something else happens that kind of just fits into it. Because one of the, one of the things that I was talking about with somebody recently, when it comes to mm-hmm. folklore and, and, and stories that are passed down, is the fact that, well, if, if these stories are just stories, 
you know, the, mm-hmm. the, their staying power in them is that we don't change the way that we tell them. That people are still telling, like you mentioned, Cinderella or Snow White or any mm-hmm. of these Grimm's fairy tales. They're still telling them the same way, you know, hundreds of years later, but they're not. We may still tell the original version, but we're also forever, you know, modernizing them, adapting them, coming up with newer, more modern versions of these stories, uh, ethnic versions of these stories. We always morph these stories into mm-hmm. something else. Yeah, we change them all the time. Um, and we adapt them, you're right, to, to different situations, to, to different, you know, I mean, we may, like, there's a new Cinderella movie, like, every couple of years, right? <laughs> um, or we see that motif, especially in children's shows and, and a lot of other places, because, you know, in part, a lot of these stories get used and reused, not only because they, they you know, they speak to us on a lot of different levels, but we also have to remember, they're also free. <laughs> right, that's the other thing. They're, yeah, they're in the public domain, so there's no rights involved yep. with it. Yeah, you don't have to worry about the rights to them. So, um, but there is something, and I think that's you know part of good storytelling is that you do have to um, really kind of attach to something the audience already knows and then build on that. Um, and that's what these stories do. These are stories that sound familiar to us. We've heard something like them. Um, so when we hear them again, they sound vaguely familiar, but not so familiar that we've we're bored with them. You know. So before we get into to Slender Man, I want to talk about some of the other urban legends that have kind of gripped people in recent years uh, you mm-hmm. know one of them being and this one comes up a lot and we can say whether or not it's it's true paranormal research or or just folklore storytelling or, or urban legend or what have you but you know the black-eyed kids have become a big story that a lot of people have yes. shared and I, and I assume that you've had a lot of people share with you uh, accounts of that yeah absolutely I've, I've heard these stories um, I would say that and shadow people are the mm-hmm. two probably most common things I hear, at least for my students, um, and, and, you know, those those have been cycled through a few times now, um, so, I mean, they, they we, you know, we refer to them as legend cycles sometimes, where, you know, certain stories actually kind of come back into popularity um, after a certain period of time, and, and we know that these things will, will kind of drop out for a while, and they'll come back up, um, so... Yeah, we've been hearing these on and off, and I think, you know, the, especially in the case of the Black Eyed Children, they're they're so uncanny. They're so creepy because um, I mean, children, generally speaking, um, can be creepy. Yes, I agree. <laughs> For lack of better terms, but I hate to say that, um, but they, I agree. They say odd things. They they perceive things we don't, right? Um, so they can be kind of creepy. So this, this idea, um, especially with the eyes, um, because that is something that we, you know, the, the humanness of the eye of of eyes, um, especially in the in the case obviously of humans, um, that really speaks to us. So to have the eyes be different um, is part of what makes it so um, uncomfortable and so uncanny. Well, you mentioned legend cycles. What are, what are some of the things mm-hmm. that we've seen come in a, in a cyclical nature? Um, you know, there's so many of them. We've actually, um, the, the creepy clown has been a legend cycle more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen it cycle through in a couple of different places. Um, there was uh, a legend cycle, actually, I think it was in 2014 in France, of creepy clowns. Um, then we had the 2016 sort of legend cycle of creepy clowns. And then, of course, with it this year, but we didn't have the same one that kind of happened, uh, you know, the previous year. Um, but that's one that's kind of cycled through. We see, um, I see it all the time with um, vaccines specifically, especially the flu vaccines. We get a legend cycle every um, flu season about the vaccine and whether or not it's effective and, you know, if it gives you the flu and stuff like that. So we'll see ones like that that are a little bit more annual, but then there will be other ones that, you know, if there's a big disaster, there'll be a legend cycle that kind of comes up where you'll hear these stories about Bibles that 
didn't burn or, um, you know, something falls into the shape of a cross or someone is miraculously saved by a Bible or a flask or some other sort of object. So um, those kind of stories kind of cycle back in, too, and we have, like, major tragedies, too. So it's it's very interesting that you can see the the patterns to these things that a lot of what just seems as general weirdness to a lot of us is actually cyclical in nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Is there uh, is there anything that we're kind of in the midst of now that you uh, that that's caught your attention? Um, you know, right now, um, I think we're so caught up into. Um, what is actually happening in the world? <laughs> we haven't had uh, we haven't had as much time for legends, but we certainly do still see them all the time. Um, there's actually, uh, if anybody is interested, there's a great Facebook group um, with the International Society for Contemporary Legend Research, and people probably post 20 times a day on that on that about different um, legends that they're seeing reemerge, um, legends that are mentioned in, in the news or in other places. Um, so that's a great place to kind of look for them um, and see, like, what people are kind of talking about. And we'll see stuff come up um, just this, with Halloween coming around. We saw the legend cycle of um, people poisoning children's Halloween candy um, or giving children drugs, um, well, you know, looking like candy in some sort of way. So that was, like, a, a pretty good legend cycle that comes up usually around Halloween every year. That I, I can tell you who made up that legend. That was my grandfather making that up so he could take all of my candy back when I was a kid. <laughs> I always thought as a kid too. <laughs> it's like no, it was uh, the the ones. It always I could always tell which ones were going to have the poison in them because they were always the ones that he was buying the rest of the year, and would always have mm-hmm. in the dish next to his chair. So I knew like if I had a Three Musketeers, it was probably poison. And but but for some oh, reason, yeah. the poison doesn't work on adults. You know, it just works on yeah. kids. Something to do with our know, genetic right? makeup, I guess. <laughs> well, we have a we have a call on the line here, so let's uh, let's take that call. Uh, good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Dr. Kita. How are you? Um, well, hey, Tim, this is uh, Cameron Pasha from California calling in. Hey, how you doing? I'm well. I'm, I'm just really, I'm really enjoying today's uh, tonight's podcast. And, and 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 Professor, I really want to thank you for for speaking. I, I know how in the academic world a lot of the supernatural stuff you're talking about is seen as very strange. So, so thank you for sharing this really wonderful perspective. So the, the question I have is, I actually would love to hear about. Uh, your thoughts on the Bigfoot phenomenon, because my opinion is that that is really the most basic uh, North American uh, folklore story, because it goes back to Native Americans. You know, I work in, in the Hollywood industry, and people often think it's crazy that I believe in things like Bigfoot. But I'm like, do you doubt hundreds of Native tribes and their consistent stories that go back centuries and that are still alive today? So I'd love to get your perspective on the phenomenon as folklore and, and what it means. Hey, do we have to hear the question, Dr. Keita? Oh yeah, actually, I only caught parts of that. Okay, Sorry, the, the, uh, sometimes the, yeah, sometimes a little bit. Sometimes the phones don't really uh, match up well. But the question was about about Bigfoot as uh, as American folklore, particularly with the Native American tribes. Absolutely, I, you know, and I will fully admit that is not my specialty, so I don't know a ton about Bigfoot. There are a lot of other people that know much, much more than I do. Um, but that has been one that's been going around for a really long period of time. Um, and you know, there's, there's something whenever I hear a story that is sticks around like that, there's always something to it, right? Um, and it might be that it is interesting or it really speaks to our relationship with the environment or it really speaks to um, something else or that it is simply, you know, it's something that people have seen and have passed it on. Um, we can't kind of, you know, discount that, that people have had experiences. Um, so it's one of those things that if, if something as enduring as that, um, there's got to be something there, right? There has to be something that people are really attaching to. Um, so I don't 
discount any of that kind of stuff. Um, I think it, it can be, you know, really important to know a little bit more about. And I, I, I apologize, it's not my area of expertise. I know so many more people that are, are you know, more experts in this than myself. But, you know, I think there is definitely, there's something there. And it, it's such a, um, in some ways it is a uniquely American story. In other ways it's not because, we, of course, we have stories about Yetis and, and you know, other ones from across the globe. Um, but there is something about that that notion of um, especially things that look human-ish that aren't exactly human, um, there's something there that we really um, attach to in, in some sort of way. Um, there's, you know, kind of go back to that word uncanny. There's something really uncanny about them. And, and I think that's part of the reason why we tell these stories so often is because it, it's just something that we really attach to. All right. Well, thank you very much for the call, Cameron. Thank you. Talk to you soon. We'll, t- we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that is uh, one of the things, you, you know, you mentioned the fact that humanistic qualities are something mm-hmm. that we, we tend to look for in a lot of these stories. Uh, one of those stories is, is the idea of the Jersey Devil. Has there, has there been a lot of stories about that recently? Because I, I, I can't get into things that I've not given permission to talk about on the air, but yeah. there's, there's somebody who's having an experience where something might be similar to that. And is that something that pops up now and again, the idea of this, this Jersey Devil type phenomenon? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's a, a really common, um, especially for the, the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. You hear more, of course, people from that area talking about it. Um, but, yeah, that one kind of cycles through, too, and, and sort of the beliefs about it. But it's one of the ones that if you ask someone, you know, tell me a story, you know, about a supernatural creature, or tell me a story about a place, um, they're going to come up with the Jersey Devil, because that is one that is really permeated through our culture in a lot of different ways. And I think it is that that idea that it is, um, you know, in part, I guess it's partially kind of, it's not really human, but it kind of is human. Um, and, the, and the whole, you know, notion of, of, of the woman who's giving birth and saying, you know, for a 13th child and that the devil may take it or, you know, it's the devil's child along those lines. And I think that's another thing that, that um, we really, a lot of our stories do involve things like the, the nature of good and evil. Um, and that's certainly one that, that kind of ties into that. So my other co-host, uh, Matt Moniz, is not here either. Uh, he is a ufologist. He's somebody who has worked very closely with abductee cases, says he's uh, been abducted himself. One thing that I want to ask you, because I, I I love to ask this question, and it, it really pisses Moniz off, so he's not here to argue it, is the idea of aliens, UFOs. Are these just modern versions of the boogeyman are these does our does our boogeyman not just change with with time and with technology that we have to find something else to be afraid of you know that's a a really interesting question because i think yes and no okay (laughs) um so i think we've had this idea of especially aliens of people coming from other planets for a really really long period of time and i don't think um anything has changed about that but i think sometimes other stories get melded into that and kind of blended in. Because um, one of the things I'm, I'm kind of interested in, just because it, it's something I talk about a lot and something I teach a lot, is um, sleep paralysis. And um, the, the idea of especially um, the old hag, especially the Newfoundland tradition, um, where there is literally something sitting on your chest. Um, and the, the fact that a lot of people have um, the perception that they see something um, when this, when this um, incident happens. Um, which has some biomedical explanation but is not entirely explained by biomedicine. Um, But a lot of times, too, I hear that in combination with abduction narratives, right, where I hear it in combination with with, um, a UFO story. 
So I think those two things were kind of separate traditions for a while, but now they're kind of starting to blend together into one, where it's not just a witch that's sitting on your chest, or it's a demon, or it's a um, black dog or cat, or anything like that, or some sort of supernatural entity, but that it is an alien that's doing it. Um, so I think there is some blending of that tradition. Um, and, you know, and some people might argue with me and say, well, maybe it was always aliens, and, you know, it was the older tradition to believe that it was any of those other things. Yeah, maybe, um, I mean, we, that's what the aliens were projecting, it, but... maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's quite possible that if this, there is some mind control element to this, maybe that's, maybe they're the ones that yeah. are just kind of making it whatever society believes in at that time. Exactly, yeah. So there's, you know, there's that argument as well. So, you know, it is, uh, it's interesting to think about because we do change slightly about what we think is scary over time. Um, but we still kind of come back to the same larger notions of, of, you know, kids are always creepy. Things that look like us but aren't us are always creepy. You know? And that's, uh, and a lot of times that's how aliens are portrayed, right? You have the greys that are, are, you know, sort of humanoid in some sort of way. Um, but they look like us, but they don't. And and one of the things that looks like us but isn't, of course, is Slenderman, which is something that I have never seen something take off like this in a way where we know from the outset that it's not real, but yet we've made yeah. it real. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, I think that was surprising for a lot of us. Um, even for folklorists who are used to seeing things kind of take off, we're like, wow, why is this so popular? Why this thing in particular? Um, and I think that was really fascinating for us to watch because we know it started, you know, we know it started on the Something Awful Forum in 2009. Um, we know that you know, it has this sort of trajectory. We know all of the, 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 you know, the video games. We know the YouTube channels. We know, you know, all the stuff that's, that's kind of come through. But that hasn't stopped people's belief, um, especially when it came to the doing the Photoshop, um, which was really interesting, too, to see um, how many different ways people manipulated photos to make it look like Slender Man was in them. Um, and that was always so cool because, like, it, it was sort of a, a weird, like, where's Waldo kind of thing sometimes. Or right. someone would post a, a, you know, a picture online and you'd be like, I can't find Slender Man. Where is he? <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was just, it was so amazing to see how that took off. Um, and, you know, and it may have died out, generally speaking, or for a lot of people that didn't even know it existed until, of course, the, the stabbings that happened. Um, and that kind of, you know, brought a resurgence of, of at least more people sort of knowing about it. So I felt like there was a sort of a group of people who knew about it, um, and then it, it got, you know, sort of more widespread because of the stabbings. Um, but, yeah, that was so interesting to see how um, people really connected with it and that they would see these photoshops, especially some of the photoshops of the woodcuts, that made it look a lot older than what it, what it really was. So it kind of became this thing of, well, are we just talking about it now? Is it... You know, something that we forgot about, um, but we've actually used to know in the past, and now it's sort of resurged. Um, and that was really kind of fascinating to see people talk about that. And even the people who accepted the fact that it was um, created in 2009, um, there was also sort of that belief that it became um, what was, you know, frequently called a tulpa or an egregor or a thought form. 
um, but it was something that we, by talking about it, by acknowledging it, um, brought into existence, which is also a really interesting concept. You know, and I, I think that that's a big, big part of this is the the fact that we are kind of willing it into existence. Uh, for example, mm-hmm. here in in the south coast of Massachusetts, we have the, the Native American Pukwudgies, which were something that the natives believed in hundreds of years ago. And then there's all these years where you could almost say, okay, maybe there wasn't a lot of sightings of them or a lot of reported sightings of them. But now that the term has come back into fashion, now all of a sudden we're seeing more sightings of these almost because we're willing them into existence by talking about them. And, and I think yeah, that, that does absolutely. that does happen with these things. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really this, is this interesting idea. Um, folklore sometimes talk about the, the cultural source hypothesis and the experiential source hypothesis. And for a long time, um, a lot of people really believed that we had supernatural experiences because we had stories. So we'd hear the story and then, you know, we'd get scared in the middle of the night. We'd think we saw something, but it was because of the story. But actually, people have experiences, right? And sometimes they don't know the stories. This is really common with sleep paralysis. So people will have, um, you know, sleep paralysis episodes where they wake up in the middle of the night, they're unable to move, sometimes they see something, um, and they won't tell anybody about it for years. Um, But then they later on find out there's all these stories about this. And for a lot of people, it actually makes them feel a lot better because they realize it's not just them, they're not going crazy. Um, but it's actually the experience that starts before the story. So it does kind of get into that question of, you know, in some ways, which came first. And, of course, in some cases, it's both. Sometimes, you know, you hear about this stuff and then you have the experience. But other times, the experience comes first without even knowing anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's an interesting way to think about it um, instead of just, sort of blaming stories on it, thinking of it as, well, people have the experience, and that's where the stories came from. I did have somebody mention to me once before uh, when the the stabbings took place and Slenderman was kind of in the news for all of that. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I work work in news, so people are constantly, when news stories come up about weird stuff, they're always asking me what I think about it. And so somebody at the newspaper where I worked asked me, you know, is this the first time that you can remember where somebody's, you know, superstition or belief in the supernatural led them to do something like this? And I was like, well, no, there's a little something that happened in Salem in 1692 that was probably a little bit more egregious than this. But it's it, it's yeah. has, it has been something that people have taken these beliefs to an extreme and, and, and actually done harm to other people over them. Absolutely. And I mean, we even saw in the, in the late 70s and the 80s the satanic panics, mm-hmm. um, you know, where we were blaming um, kids, we were blaming people, we were actually pinning murders on people for no other reason than, you know, they were the goth kids in town, right? So, um, you know, and it, it's, a, it's a sort of lower level, you know, for lack of better terms, witch hunt. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we fall into this. It, we like to think of these things, too, I think, sometimes as, oh, that's, you know, part of this, this old thinking process. We don't think like that anymore. It's like, no, we still do. And, I mean, we, we've certainly done it in even more recent years. I mean, a lot of our fear of, of Muslims, of, of people... You know, we, we get all these stories, you know, I was just kind of talking earlier about 9-11 stories, and um, it's the same thing with the, the whole story about um, seeing people celebrate after 9-11 that were Muslim or, or um, from an area that people perceived as being part of um, 9-11. Um, and, that, you know, we still see that terror and that fear where people get visually upset when they see someone that they perceive as being from that culture. So it's a different kind of witch hunt. Now, are we burning, you know, people, well, of course, they didn't really burn that many people in Salem, but, uh, you know, are we, we're hanging people for it? Not yet. <laughs> right. So, um, and, he, and even then, we don't, 
even this though the hanging happened in the past, it's something currently happening too, right? Um, so you know, I think we can be kind of judgy about this stuff and think, oh, you know, it happened then, it it doesn't happen anymore. Well, no, it still happens all the time. You know, these these girls having this experience. Yeah, you know, it got into the news. It became very popular, but it's not like this is the first time something like this has happened. Especially where we're willing to mold what's happening into fitting our narrative of it. So, like you mentioned, the satanic panic, and I remember mm-hmm. being being a young person and seeing, uh, you know, MTV news reports of uh, it was a Judas Priest album that they were yep. saying push somebody into either killing somebody else or killing themselves or what have you. And because mm-hmm. when they played the record backward, you could hear the phrase, hey, Ma, my chair is broken. So obviously that meant some sort of satanic code to people. that they're. I'm like, but what, is, what does that mean? Hey, Ma, my chair is broken. Just because that's what you think that you're hearing when you play it backwards doesn't mean that it drove anybody to do anything, you know, anything egregious like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it was just the same as... Uh... I mean, people used to say the the Paul is dead thing if you play right. <laughs> the Beatles albums backwards, right? Um, so, I mean, all of this stuff is, you know, it just keeps kind of cycling through. But, yeah, sometimes people read something more into it. I, I actually remember at one point, too, um, where they were banning peace signs because they said they were actually just stylized inverted crosses. <laughs> you know, it's like part of the satanic panic. Um, so, you know, I think people tend to overreact. And, and actually, the, the whole Halloween candy thing we were just talking about, too, is all a part of that. This, this notion that, you know, Satanists were going to poison your children's Halloween candy. And we can't celebrate Halloween anymore because it's a Satanist holiday, you know. The, the, the best meme that I saw this Halloween was uh, somebody posted up, you know, make sure you check all your kids' candy. You never know what you're going to find. And it was like a like a Milky Way broken open with like a 9 millimeter handgun in the middle of it. <laughs> it was, it was... <laughs> It actually made me laugh out loud. I was, I was like, all right, that's that's pretty good. That is good. <laughs> all right, we do have a call on the line. Again, if anybody wants to call in with any questions for our guest, Dr. Keita, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. How are you? How you doing? Good. Do you have, do you have a question for Dr. Keita? No. Well, I just you mentioned pug wedgies. Yes. Yeah. Well, a pug wedgie is, is a deformed bush hog. Uh, now, I've seen them at the golf course, and I see they they come from the second hole in, and, and they're a bush hog that has a deformed face. So you've seen them on the golf course? Oh yeah, at the wheel. Yep, hog wedgies. So you, but uh, they're they're a bush hog. I think they probably come out of the Freetown State Forest or from a through a zone down uh, to that valley there. What uh, what do they call that? The Pascamansa Valley, where there's some water uh, that uh, behind the second hole at the whale. So, well, but what about all the supernatural and, uh, stories that are attached to these things? Well, I see a jump at a chain link fence. That's that's they pretty. Disappear, take right off and disappear. Jump the chain link fence. I mean, the people are still more than a bush hog that has a deformed face. Oh, see, I've heard them described as everything from little tiny versions of Native Americans to, you know, something that looks like out of the movie Critters. That, uh, you know, there's all these different hog wedgies of deformed bush hog. Okay, have a good one. You too. If you ever see one, let me know so we can go out there and capture it. I told you, they're out there. But. Let me know, like, on a specific night when you see them. We'll go out there and we'll catch them. They chase the rabbits. See you later. All right, see you. I will uh, will definitely put on a rabbit costume. 
if it will draw one out. He's yeah, he's mentioned that to us before that he's seen he's seen the puck wedgies, but uh I've I've never gone out there at night. Maybe I really should. Yeah, maybe. One of my favorite see working in the newsroom here, we get a lot of uh interesting stuff over the scanner and one of my favorite stories was uh, a couple of months ago there were some kids in Fall River that were trapped on a golf course uh, after hours and the police were trying to tell them to get off the golf course but they refused to leave because the kids kept saying that they saw coyotes everywhere that every time they tried to leave the golf course there was coyotes blocking their way from getting off the golf course so the, the police are yelling at them with the bullhorn and they're like screaming back to them but there's coyotes but there were no coyotes <laughs> they were just high that's what the cop said on the, on the scanner anyway. Like, yeah, there's no coyotes. These kids are just smoking something. So, but, oh, that's funny. But, I mean, you know, that is what happens, though, is that um, stories can – oh, we have another call coming in. Uh, stories can, can pop up like that where all of a sudden it just takes one little – like uh, the caller was mentioning about Puckwudgies being something with a deformity, a deformed bush hog. It just takes one little weird thing like that to kind of kick off an entire – wealth of stories of, of high strangeness mm-hmm. like the dover demon that story i don't know if you're familiar with that that's a kind of a massachusetts legend but a lot of people mm-hmm. thought that was you know the the explanation they gave for it was a, it was a deformed baby moose you know oh, but interesting ba- deformed baby mooses don't climb up rock walls but you know hey whatever let's take this uh, other call here good evening you're on spooky south coast with dr kita how are you i'm doing fine this is uh eric <clears throat> excuse me i'm i'm Professor Eric in live chat. Hey, nice to hear and from you. I, I think that uh, my field and Dr. Kia's probably overlap uh, a good bit. And, and since we're covering uh, the paranormal tonight, almost from A to Z, you know, one thought I often have is that when, when we come across something we don't understand, um, you know, we know that at least neurologically, our, our brains don't like ambiguity. So, you know, if we have to, we sort of fill in the blanks. It's kind of a gestalt sort of thing. We just, you know, we do our best to to connect the dots so that we have something and we can say, okay, now I understand it. And I'm wondering if, if, um, if you have to take that into consideration when you're doing your research, um, you're doing writing, interviewing, people is that in the back of your mind oh that's a great question yeah it, it absolutely is um the, the good part for me i guess the, the solution for this for me is um a lot of my work so we're, i'm interested in why people tell the stories they tell but i actually am not interested in literal truth um, which is kind okay. of weird to say. Um, so even if somebody is um, lying to me or even if they're experiencing something and they think um, that it's one thing and it, it might be actually, like, um, psychologically something else, um, mm-hmm. they're still doing it within the context of the tradition. Um, so right. they still understand, you know, how to tell a good story. They still understand what parts are going to work and what don't work. Um, so even in the situations where maybe I'm not getting the whole story, I'm still getting something that's culturally relevant. Um, so it's still, from that perspective, it's still interesting to me. Um, on a personal level, though, there are definitely times where I, I have my own sort of um, gut reaction where I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't know if I believe this entirely, or um, I think this person is messing with me, or, you know, maybe it was something else. Um, and that certainly happens to me, though, as a researcher, too. 
or or maybe parts of it, mm-hmm. you know, seem yeah. cogent to what you're doing, and then the other parts. Because you know, when I, when I do mm-hmm. counseling and when I'm working with students, there are times I feel like, you know, these pieces make sense, and the other pieces I think you <clears throat> you didn't have you you had a blank space there, and and you needed to mm-hmm. fill in the blank, and then that's how you completed your story. Um, Absolutely, and, and, I, and I think a lot of times we use terminology that we understand as a way of describing something that's like something else. Um, and sometimes like turns into exactly like, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, right. sometimes when people are describing things, they'll say like, well, it was like this, um, but then that slowly kind of morphs into that as well. Okay. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And thank you for the call, Eric. Yeah, thank you. Great to, great to hear a voice from the chat room there. And, uh, and, again, we highly encourage everybody to call in with questions during the show each week. But we always have a great conversation going on in the chat room. One of the great things, Dr. Keaty, I have to say is that with the proliferation now of, you know, podcasts with people talking, you know, th- this is folklore and research into these stories is something that is very popular uh, on the internet and is very popular with podcasters, with YouTubers. There's a lot of ways out there to, to get this information out that people are starting to talk about this stuff. And not, I don't mean just sharing the stories. I mean analyzing mm-hmm. the stories and breaking them down and getting into the nuts and bolts of the whys. Absolutely. And, and I think as folklorists, we love that. We love that people are getting engaged with us and that we can have these conversations. Because, you know, we want to talk to people about this stuff. And, and you know, we're, we're the kind of, uh, I guess we're the kind of academics where we're like, hey, come talk to us about it. Come tell us your stories. You know, come take a class with us and learn more. Um, and that happens all the time. You know, I get people in my classes that are ghost hunters or who are people that are just interested. And I get, you know, I get skeptics. I get believers. And, and you know, we welcome all of those people to come and talk about this. It's great that we're having these conversations. Absolutely. Now, where can people find uh, more of your work and, and keep in touch with you and follow along with everything that you do? Oh, the, um, well, you know, you can follow me personally on Twitter. I do tweet sometimes. Um, I also, uh, I, I'm on several podcasts actually on and off lately. Um, but also the American Folklore Society is a great um, place to, it's a great resource. We're always open to talking to different people. There's also the International Society for Contemporary Legend Research. We love to talk to people. We have really small conferences um, where people can come and, and listen or just be a part of things or even present themselves. So we'd love to have more people come out and be engaged. Well, we're still going to make sure that we have you back on the show because this has been a great discussion, and it was only the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more we can get in depth. And, and please keep us up to date with, uh, with anything that you're working on that you think would be interesting uh, for our audience. Absolutely. Thanks so much again for having me. All right. Thank you for coming on, and, and have a good Thanksgiving. Okay, you too. Take care. That is our guest, Dr. Andrea Kita. Again, you can follow along with her online. You can we, we tweeted out some stuff from her earlier today, so you know you can follow along with her on Twitter as well. Uh, Matt, I think that uh, what I want more than anything right now is uh, a, I want a good story, a good good right. piece of folklore to sit down and read for the rest of the night, and a giant Thanksgiving sandwich. I agree. That's all. I, does as, does as Sonic as, have uh, Thanksgiving sandwiches? They do not. As great as the uh, do they have as, a Thanksgiving sandwich shake? <laughs> they probably do. As as great as the conversation was, like in the back of my mind, all I'm thinking of the whole time is is a Thanksgiving sandwich too. Right. But uh, yes, you you had Sonic for the first time last week, and you you enjoyed it. It was fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, it's. it's I didn't. We didn't experience the uh, the the uh, car service, but no, we got roller service at our so. table. 
So, so there's uh, there's certainly, and I just became a member of the International Society for Contemporary Legend nice. Research on Facebook. I just got approved. So the notice just came up. Cool. So, uh, yes, no, there's there's no Thanksgiving Sonic Shake, but there's Thanksgiving pizzas at places. Did you ever notice that? Thanksgiving pizzas? Thanksgiving pizzas? Huh. With stuffing and turkey and stuff on it. That on should it. be really good. Yeah, I'm iffy. Yeah? I'm iffy on it. But Is it the cheese or? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it's all going to work. Cranberry sauce? Sauce? That's what I was I thinking. Know. It must. There must be a, at least a mixture of cranberry with it. Hmm. Or gravy. It could be gravy. Would that work? I don't know. Hmm. We'll have to, we'll, when we have a bunch of Thanksgiving leftovers, this is all stuff that we can try. <laughs> right, right. So uh, if only if only we were still cooks, we could try it not on our own dimes. But since that's no longer the case, we'll have to actually have to pay for it. All right, so uh, we will be back uh, next week with another edition of Spooky South Coast. I think next week we'll be talking about Lizzie Borden. So something that we haven't talked about for a while. So you can tune in next Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course... Streaming live on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com as well as here on WBSM. And thank you to everybody who listens to us on the Dark Matter Radio Network as well. Truly honored to be a part of Art Bell's Dark Matter Radio Network. So however you get in touch with us, however you listen to the show, we'll see you next week. And we want you all to stay spooktacular. <laughs>